in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's see what we can do. There's a title for you from, uh, from Isaiah 53, and we're going to try and handle the, uh, the, the whole passage this morning, but I, I do want to tell you that uh, I'm only going to scratch, merely scratch the surface when it comes to this passage, and I, I am actually hoping that we might study, truly study the depth of this passage um, sometime next year. So what I hope that you've noticed as we've gone through the service that we've, we've started to soak ourselves in Isaiah 53. We've, we've done it through song. We've done it through prayer. We've done it through the Lord's table. And now what I want us to do is I want us to saturate ourselves a little deeper in one of the deepest passages in all of Scripture. As another Christmas approaches, which is two weeks away, I want us to see Christmas through the eyes of Isaiah 53. And here are three questions that I want us to have a look at, and this passage will answer. Firstly, can you have complete confidence that the Bible is God's word to us? Can you put your full weight of your trust that the Bible is God's word, that it is completely and utterly authoritative, true from God to us? Can you do that? The second question, why did the Messiah have to come and die? And the third question, how can a sinner be made right with a holy God? so as to escape eternal hell and enter eternal heaven. Some have called Isaiah 53 the fifth gospel, but I think it can be called the first gospel because every feature of the gospel is contained in Isaiah 53. And as I open that up a little bit more for you now this morning, and I hope that as you see more and more of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ contained here, that it might fill you with a sense of awe and a sense of wonder and a sense of joy and a sense of worship. So just listening to Acts chapter 8, and I'm going to start there, and I'm going to work my way backwards. And as I've just read, uh, Philip is told uh, by the Holy Spirit to go and stand near the chariot of this Ethiopian who's on his way back from Jerusalem to Ethiopia, and he happens to be reading Isaiah 53. And you've got to understand that Isaiah is written somewhere between 700 to 750 years before the Messiah came. And uh, as Philip approaches the, uh, the, the, the chariot in verse 30, he asks the Ethiopian, he says, as you're reading Isaiah 53, do you understand what you are reading? And the, the, the Ethiopian, he, he replies by, by saying, well, how, how, do I, how do I understand unless someone tells me and then he asks Philip the question of questions. He says, please tell me, who is the prophet speaking about? Himself or someone else? And the Ethiopian is reading a portion of scripture that says 
that the suffering servant will be like a lamb that goes to the slaughter. And he wants to know who it is. Do you know? Do you know who it is? Let me give you the first of my headings this morning. Messiah's prophets will be rejected by Israel. Messiah's prophets will be rejected by Israel. If you have a look at Isaiah chapter 1 verse 1, we know that Isaiah is writing to the people of Israel, particularly he's writing to Judah and Jerusalem. And remember again that he's writing some 750 years before the Messiah would come. And here's the context of Isaiah 53. Isaiah is writing to Israel and saying that, 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 that I'm going to tell you what will happen to the Messiah when he comes. I'm going to tell you what happens to Messiah when he comes, so that when he comes and it happens to him, you know that he is the Messiah. You with me? I'm going to tell you in advance what will happen to Messiah. So when it happens you know that he is the Messiah. And the very first thing that Isaiah says, he says is that Messiah's prophets are going to be rejected. So have a look at chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And the arm of the Lord refers to the rescuing, saving power of God. Here's what Isaiah is saying. He is saying that Israel is not going to believe the message about Messiah. They're not going to believe the prophets. They're not going to believe the messengers. In fact, they're going to reject and even kill those who prophesy about the suffering servant. You might remember that when John the Baptist, although he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Listen to what they said about John the Baptist in Luke 7.33. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. What did Israel say about John the Baptist? That he was a what? He was a demon. Listen to what Stephen said in Acts 7.52. He speaks to the Jewish leaders, and he says, Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. Jewish tradition has it that the prophet Isaiah was in fact sawn in two by the godless king called Manasseh. Were the messengers of Messiah rejected? Were the messengers, were the prophets of Jesus rejected? Here's my second heading. Messiah will be despised by Israel. Have a look at verse 2 and 3 with me. He grew up like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or a majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, Israel, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. 
That translation of tender shoot is not a great translation. It should really be translated a sucker branch out of dry ground. What Isaiah is saying is this, that when Messiah comes, he's going to be considered to be a useless sucker branch, something that simply sticks out of dry ground that needs to be pulled up and tossed away. That when Messiah comes, he will be despised. He will be rejected. He will be, consi- he will be considered with contempt tempt and derision. He will be seen as worthless and useless. He will be seen as something not worth the living. He'll be seen as something like a dead root coming out of dry ground that you pull up and you throw it away. They will see him as contemptible. They'll see him as coming from a nowhere place, from a nowhere family. John chapter 1 verse 11 says of Jesus, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. In Mark 3.22, after the Jewish leaders had seen the arm of the Lord, the arm of the power of Jesus in his miracles, this is what they said. And the teachers of the Lord, of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. In John chapter 1 and verse 46, Philip finds Nathanael, and Nathanael, and, 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 and Philip says to Nathanael, We found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and of, about whom the prophets wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And what does Nathanael say? Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see, said Philip. In Mark 6, when the Sabbath came, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And aren't the brothers of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon here with us? Aren't aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense. You know that the Jewish leaders, they so hated Jesus. And even the Jewish rabbis that came later, they so hated Jesus. In, in a document called the Talmud, which is a document written after the time of Jesus by Jewish rabbis in order to preserve the Jewish system, in the Talmud, they actually changed the name of Jesus. The Hebrew word for Jesus, as you probably know, is the word Yeshua, which means God with us. In the Talmud, the Jews changed it to Yeshu, which means Let his name be blotted out. Maybe you've heard the story of Mary being a hairdresser, also written in the Talmud. In the Talmud, this Jewish writing says that his mother, Jesus' mother Mary, was a hairdresser who committed adultery with a Roman mercenary named Joseph ben Pandera. They produced Yeshu. Let his name be blotted out, who learned magical arts in Egypt. And led him astray. 
was Jesus despised by Israel? The third thing that Isaiah says, he says that Messiah will be considered despised by God. Have a look at verse 4 in the middle, verse 4b. Yet we Jews considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Down into verse 9. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? What Isaiah is saying is that when Messiah comes, Israel will see the suffering of the servant as something that he deserved. Isaiah is saying that when Messiah comes, Israel will consider his suffering that that was something according to his own sin, something according to his own blasphemy, that he's suffering because God has rejected him because he was not the Messiah, and therefore God punished him for his own sin. In Matthew 26, the high priest said to Jesus, I charge you under the oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so. Jesus replied, but I say to you all, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Matthew 27, in the same way the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Was Jesus Christ considered to be despised? By God. The fourth thing that Isaiah tells us is that Messiah will die a criminal's death. Messiah will die a criminal's death. Have a look at verse 9 again. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. Go down to verse 12. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. What Isaiah says is that when Messiah comes, he's going to die a criminal's death. He's going to be treated like a criminal. He's going to die a criminal's death. He's going to die like someone who deserves to die as a criminal. In Luke 23, 32, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. Did Jesus Christ die a criminal's death? 
Isaiah number 5 says that a Messiah will die for the sins of Israel. Isaiah says that when Messiah comes, he will die in the place of others. He'll be considered to be a criminal, but actually he will die in the place of sinners. Follow with me if you've got your Bible open again from verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Have a look at verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Down to verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look at verse 8. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. Down to verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. Down to verse 11. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. And verse 12. For he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah says that when Messiah comes, though he would be considered to be a blaspheming, God-hating sinner, rather by the hand of God, he would be crushed and pierced and die for the sins of Israel. He would die for their iniquities. He'd die for their blasphemies. He'd die for their idolatries. He would die for their sin. In other words, that when Messiah came, he would die as a substitute in the place of his people. He would pay the penalty for their sin. He would pay the full debt that was owed. He would satisfy the wrath of the Father, of a holy Father on sin. It, it wasn't for his own sin that he would die, but for the sin of others. Look at verse 9 again. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Quoting Isaiah 53, by his wounds you have been healed. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Unlike the other high priests in Hebrews 7, he does not need to sacrifice, sacrifice, uh, does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. When Jesus was dying on the cross, the Father treated Jesus as if he had personally committed every sin every person has ever committed who would believe, though he committed none. 
When Jesus was dying on that cross, the Father treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin of every person who would ever believe. God punished Jesus for every sin of every person throughout human history who would believe. Did Jesus die for his own sin? Did Jesus Christ die as a substitute for sinners? Isaiah also says that Messiah will go silently like a lamb to the slaughter. We all like sheep have gone astray and each has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Isaiah says that when Messiah comes, he'll go like a lamb to the slaughter. He'll go silently. He won't go protesting. I'm sure you know this, or you probably know this. You should know this. Did you know that Australia has got more sheep than anywhere else in the world? Did you know that? No. Somebody was counting. Over 110 million. Wherever they get that number, Dr. Google. Uh, Australia is a bit of a sheepy nation. Sort of a bit sheepish. Now, I don't know much about sheep, so I had to do a little bit of reading and educating of myself. And uh, if there's any, any sheep farmers out there, one or two of you, all right, you can correct me if this is wrong, all right? But I, I, I've read that sheep love the shepherd to clean them. Did you know that, Celia? Okay, maybe not Australian sheep. <laughs> You're sitting next to a kiwi, so maybe kiwi, kiwi sheep. Anyway, here's what I've been told. Uh, Sheep love the shepherd to clean them. They, they, they love the shepherd to shear them because at shearing time they get hot and it's uncomfortable and their wool gets full of lanolin and they become the dirtiest animals on the planet and because all the stuff starts to stick to their fur and they're unable to clean themselves. Fur, that wool, that thing, whatever. <laughs> doing well but here's that here this i wonder if you know this because of this periodically through the year their little rumps if you know what i'm talking about need to be completely shaved because even when they're bearing wool because if they don't get shaved then they don't get that cleaned up they'll die because they get so plugged so when the shepherd comes to lift them up and clean them and shave them, and shear them, and shave their rumps. They are somewhat pleased. They're relieved. And then the sheep will go silently to the slaughter because the shepherd has always been good to them and cleaned them and looked after them. And the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? 
What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Did Jesus go silently like a lamb to the slaughter? Isaiah also said that the Messiah will be raised from the dead. Look at it in verse 10 and 11. He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Look at verse 11. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Now, folks, I hope that you can see that something has changed. When you're dead, you don't see your offspring. When you're dead, you don't see the light of life. Isaiah is saying that Messiah will be raised from the dead if he's going to prosper in the hand of the Lord. If he is going to see his offspring, if he's going to see the light of life, he will be raised from the dead. It can't mean anything else. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Acts chapter 3 and verse 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses to this. Acts chapter 5, verse 30, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. Was Jesus Christ raised from the dead? The eighth thing that Messiah will, what will happen to Messiah according to Isaiah, is that the Messiah, Messiah will be exalted. The Messiah will be exalted. Have a look again at verse 12. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. What Isaiah is saying is that when Messiah comes, he will live an innocent life. He will be despised by Israel. They will reject him like some sort of common thief and criminal. But he will die as a substitute for sinners at the hand of the Father. But he will be raised from the dead. And he will be exalted to the highest place. I will give him a portion among the great. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Was Jesus exalted by the Father. Messiah's prophets will be rejected by Israel. Messiah will be despised by Israel. Messiah will be considered despised by God. He will die a criminal's death, but Messiah will die for the sins of Israel. Messiah will go silently as a lamb to the slaughter. He will be raised from the dead and he will be exalted to the highest So what does that mean for us? Here's the first thing. Let's go back to Acts chapter 8, verse 34 for a moment. And you remember the eunuch says to Philip, Philip, please tell me who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Do you know the answer? Is it clear to you? We'll have a look what comes in verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, Isaiah 53, and told him the good news about Jesus. And just in case there is any doubt that Isaiah is talking about Jesus, John says this in John 12, 41. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. We might say that Isaiah 53 is the first gospel because every facet of the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ is in Isaiah 53. So let me ask, answer those three questions that I started with. Can you have complete confidence that the Bible is God's word to us? Are you able to say this morning that God's word can be fully trusted? Because what Philip did with the eunuch and what I've tried to do in some way this morning is to show you that Jesus Christ perfectly fulfills Isaiah 53 in every single detail written 750 years before Messiah came. If Jesus Christ fulfilled Isaiah 53 perfectly to every detail, 
then you can have absolute confidence this morning that God's Word is authoritative, absolutely truthful. You can put your full weight and trust in it. One of the strongest arguments for the veracity or the truthfulness of Scripture is fulfilled prophecy. And Jesus did it perfectly. Why did Messiah have to come and die? He had to come and die for our sins. See, like, like dirty sheep, we can't clean ourselves, can't fix ourselves, we can't share ourselves. Unless Jesus comes and dies for us, we'll die like plugged up sheep. He came and died for our sin, for our blasphemies, for our idolatries, for our transgressions, for our iniquities. He had to come and die because we need a Savior. Here's the third question. So how can a sinner be made right with God so as to escape eternal hell and enter eternal heaven? Well, remember John 1.11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, right? But you've got to read the next verse. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And when Jesus was talking to Mary in Luke 11, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? How is it possible for a sinner to be made right before a holy God, escape eternal hell, go to eternal heaven. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Believe in the Jesus of Isaiah 53, the one rejected and despised by Israel, the one who died for our sins, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who was exalted back to the hand of the Father. Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus and spoke about him. To all who received him, they are called the children of God. I'm going to ask the music team to come and join me up front.